Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, I think our final one is from John Kay, and he asks, why do you think there's an ammo shortage? Because... Hello, everyone. Ron Spomer back with RSO Podcast and more questions and answers. Silas Pippet at Red 11 Media has compiled a bunch more and just slid them over to me now. So we have got questions here that I have not seen before. I will try to answer them off the top of my head. And if I stumble and fumble all over, it's because I don't know what I'm talking about. And I trust you guys to set me straight. So the first question is from Tim. Tim asks, opinion on deer moose rifle cartridges for beginners. Ah, yeah, you know, I think with with moose, well, with deer, not so much, but with moose, you really need to say what is needed for the moose, regardless of the beginner. <laughs> I don't know that it's fair to say to the moose, my beginner would rather shoot a 223. You got to take the moose into consideration. That being said, a lot of folks shoot moose up in Alaska with 223s. I haven't seen them do it, but I've sure heard about it. Well, I do know that they've used 243s, Winchesters, 3030s were big a long time ago. In Canada, they use 303, British a lot. Um, but they'll use lightweight cartridges and rifles up there because they're living right next to these moose and they can wait for the perfect shot opportunity. When the right moose comes walking by the cabin and it's within 50 yards and they can put it right in the ear or in the heart, you don't need that big of a bullet to do the job. But for the average hunter going on this big hunt, you want to make sure you've got the right equipment, right? So you probably don't want to use a 243 Winchester for a moose. Plenty adequate for a deer. So you don't also want to be using a cartridge that's so big you can't handle the rifle and or you start to flinch. Game over when you're starting to flinch, guys. I don't care how big your hammer is. If you can't put that hammer on the nail, it's not going to drive it. So what are we going to do? I say look for the bullet first. You want a bullet that's going to carry good energy downrange, but penetrate really well and expand at the same time. So it's more about the bullet than it is the cartridge. 
and two seventies. I have used two seventies on moose and a lot of other people have with excellent results. Of course, it's a grand deer cartridge. Anything I say here about moose will apply to deer. If this were strictly a deer question, it would be easy. You can easily say 243, 260, 65, 25-6. Anything down in that range is going to be just fine. But for moose, I think the lightest bullet I ever used on a moose was 120 grain. and was a 26 caliber out of a 65-06 custom rifle. Um, and I think the heaviest I ever used was maybe a 180 out of a 300 WSM. A lot of guys say, oh, it's such a big animal, but really it's a deer. It's not all that heavily skinned, uh, heavily muscled. No, you put it behind the shoulder and into the lungs, and that's why these guys up there can take them out with 243s and 223s. So I like the, the 7 millimeter 08. I really do because it it takes me back to the 757 Mauser, which is about the same ballistics, the same performance, and that was used, of course, around the world by all kinds of shooters for taking everything. And the most famous guy, of course, was Bell. Bell used that to take Cape Buffalo. He was using 173 or 175 grain military bullet and shooting Buffalo. He's got a famous story in one of his books when he was in a new area trying to impress the locals who thought his little pipsqueak rifle wasn't going to be able to take elephants and they weren't going to let him hunt unless he proved himself. So they sent several guys out with him to see what he could do. And these three Cape Buffalo came trotting by, I don't know, 100 yards or something. And he goes bang, 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 and piles them all up just like that. <laughs> so he knew what to do. Obviously, he was a heck of a shot. They say he could shoot flying ducks out of the air with that rifle. But he took all kinds of game with the seven, and it was used across Africa. I've taken it to Africa and used it with wonderful success on warthogs and a roan, which is like the third largest antelope in Africa, I think, or maybe the second largest. Big animal. Um, no problem using a 7 by 57 So a moose, 708, no problem. 757, no problem. 280 actually improved, no problem. What's nice about the 7mm 08 is a short action cartridge, so you can get that new shooter a fairly compact rifle. Even if it's not all that light, um, of course, you got a light rifle, and then you're starting to worry about more recoil because the heavier rifle, the rifle is, the less the recoil with any given load. But again, again, the new shooters are often younger, smaller framed, and they don't like to carry a lot of weight around, especially on a moose hunt. I mean, if you do the moose hunts that I've done, you're covering some ground, and it's usually in the mountains, and that's a lot of work dragging big heavy rifle around. So you might want a little bit lighter weight rifle for that reason. Oh, there's so many things to consider in this stuff, guys. But getting back to the bullet, if you can put a well-built controlled expansion bullet behind the shoulder of a bull moose, anything from that 120 grain, 26 caliber thing on up should do the job. The reason I go to that seven millimeter is that I've had so much good luck with the 284 and the 708 and the 280 and the 280 AI. and They've just always worked so well. And you can get good 160 grain to 175 grain bullets in them if you want to stay down with the 150s not a problem shoot some of the copper ones you're going to get incredible penetration from something like a barnes x bullet or a cutting edge bullet or a hammer so do consider the bullet and if you shoot the 708 for that new shooter the beginner you can really lighten the recoil by loading up or buying some 120 grain bullets great deer bullet uh, it could certainly work on moose, but to step up to the moose, then you can go up to that 150, 170 range bullet, and you're in business. You can do the same with the 30s, but 
Remember, with the 30s, to get your BCs up there, you also have to increase the bullet weight, and there goes your recoil. The heavier bullet, the more the recoil. So, yeah, 708 is what I'm going to land on on this one, Tim. I think you'll be satisfied with it. I just absolutely love that cartridge. All right, now, Ed P. asks, with the new Winchester and Browning in a 6.8 Western, can you shoot both rifles and expect the same results given the different twist rates? Yeah, good question, Ed. So what Browning did was decided that they were going to build their 6.8 Westerns with a twist rate of 7.5 inches. So every 7.5 inch, you get a complete twist. And that will stabilize longer bullets. So you should be able to stabilize, as I did in mine, the 175-grain Sierra. Uh, that was a game king. That's what I took my long-range whitetail with a couple of years ago when they were just coming out with that round. But the Winchester were doing only one in eight. So I didn't shoot both rifles extensively. I'm thinking the Winchester may not be quite as stable with that long bullet. Uh, you, you really need to look at the length of the bullet on this stuff, guys. It is not the weight. All of our lives we have been taught if you're shooting a heavier bullet, you need a faster twist to stabilize the heavy bullet. It's not the weight of the bullet. It's the length. And copper bullets has pretty much taught us that. You cannot have, let's say your your top heavyweight bullet that will be stabilized in, say, a 25 out 6 is 120 grains. And that's your old standard, old-fashioned sort of a bullet, not those long, sleek, long ogive, secant ogive bullets with the long boat tails and everything that everybody loves to shoot these days because they have such high BCs. Well, if you make it a copper bullet, in the 25-06 and make it weigh 120 grains, it's going to be too long to stabilize. So that's why I ended up shooting a 92-grain hammer bullet in my 25-06 last deer season because I couldn't stabilize their 120 grain. I have to have a faster twist for that, and that works across the board. So the longer the bullet, the faster your twist needs to be. Whether or not the one in eight twist will stabilize 175 grain Sierra bullets or any others that are coming out that long in the 277, that's the 0.277 diameter. That's the caliber of the 6.8. Uh, it's getting on the ragged edge, I would think, but do some research and I think you'll be all right. What I like is that even if you can only stabilize, let's say right now, the 170 grain ballistic, um, what is it? Nosler has the Acubon straight up. I don't think they have an Acubon long range, but either way, you're getting a heavier bullet in your 270 than you've ever had before. So I think they should stabilize them both. But if I were trying to pick one right now and I wanted to shoot the really longest bullets that they were probably going to come out with for them in the near future, I would go with the Browning's faster twist rate. 7.5 inch instead of the 1.8. You guys are welcome to call in and write in and tell me I'm off base on this one, but that's the way I read it. Lance, with no last name, asks me my opinion on Mossberg rifles. Ooh, I've given this opinion a couple of times here recently, as I remember. I am impressed with what Mossberg is doing. It's never been the company that had the cachet of, say, Browning or Remington had back in, say, the 80s with the Model 700. Um, it's never been a super fancy. It's always sort of been the starter rifle, you know, your bargain basement rifle. And I think a lot of folks would lump that in with Savage. But the interesting thing about Mossberg and Savage is that despite that reputation, they are making some remarkably accurate off-the-shelf rifles. 
You can pick up a Mossberg Patriot dual lug push feed bolt action rifle for somewhere in that four five hundred dollar range. They might be up to six now, but I can remember seeing them advertised at four, maybe even a little under that. That's what your your basic molded synthetic stock, but they're functional and they're ridiculously accurate for the price. Now, they're not as finely made, you know, they, this is where you get your difference in your prices of your guns. Like a Browning is going to be honed a little more than uh, a Mossberg, for instance. And then you can just climb on up the ladder until you get to a Rigby for $12,000. Do you want to spend that much money on the fine-tuning of your rifle? Or do you just want a basic rifle that's going to go bang and pretty much put all its bullets into an inch, inch and a half, and you've got a hunting rifle? Well, that's what the Mossbergs have been doing for me. I have been shooting in them now for about 10 years. And the biggest improvement I've seen in them is the stock lines. They had some really goofy looking stocks for a while, but they, several years ago when they started this Patriot line, they made a stock that to me is quite reminiscent of a Winchester Model 70, which is, I've always thought is just about the perfect hunting stock shape and contour. So they're good looking rifles now. And they're shooting remarkably well for the price. I think it's probably a pretty darn good buy. So you might want to check those out. Now, this is another one from Lance. So there's either two Lances here with the same name or this is the same Lance. Either way, it's another good question. Are you going to choose the 6.8 Western or the 6.8 SPC? Well, that's an easy one. The 6.8 SPC is nowhere near the same ballpark as the 6.8 Western. The 6.8 Western is the 270 WSM case shortened just a little bit and then built with long throat chambers in rifles with fast twist barrels, the 1 and 8 to the 1 and 7 and a half inch twist barrels. That means you're getting faster than a 270 with the same bullets and you can shoot heavier bullets than the 270 Winchester can stabilize. And that's the big advantage. You get those long ogive, long high BC bullets and you'll be more effective and more accurate with your long-range shooting, less wind deflection. That's the biggest thing with these long, high BC bullets. You don't have to worry as much about the wind blowing them all over. Whereas the 6.8 SPC, Special Purpose Cartridge, that Remington put out, is more of a military police kind of thing, and it's designed to function and fit in the AR-15's really short actions, the 223 Remington length action. And as a result, you're not pushing those bullets very fast, nor can you use big, heavy bullets. I think 125 grain bullets probably is as heavy as they load in those. So I've never paid a lot of attention to the 6.8 SPC. I've always been a hunter, mainly with my cartridges, and I just don't see any reason to step down to a tiny cartridge like that to hunt deer when I have a real 270. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know the AR guys love to figure out what cartridge is going to give them the best performance in that AR-15 limited action length. And the 6.8 was one of the attempts, but I don't think it's going to be as effective as, for instance, the 6mm ARC these days. Because you do get those long, high BC bullets in there, and even though they're a lighter weight, they um, start at a pretty good velocity because you got a little bit more powder reservoir there. And they're going a little bit faster to start with, and because of the high BC, they don't shed energy dragging in the wind. This is the problem with stumpier bullets. They use that energy regardless how much you give them. When they leave the muzzle, they immediately start to slow down because of air drag. 
So the longer and sleeker your bullet, the more it slips through the air instead of pushing it, the less it's going to drop, the more energy it's going to retain downrange, and the less it's going to deflect in the wind. So I'm not a big fan of the 6.8 SPC. Um, uh, 6.8 Western, I like that really well. That thing shoots almost like a 7 rem mag, just pretty darn close to the same ballistic performance with those heavier bullets. So it's, a, I think, a step up in the 277 world. All right, this is Jack. Jack asked me, uh, do you know where there, why there are no Kimber Montanas to be found, but plenty of hunters and mountain ascents? Oh, okay, so Kimber is a handgun manufacturer and rifle manufacturer. Been around for quite a few years now, and they've made some beautiful rifles over the years. The rifle line was built around the idea of minimization. Um, and I think they took their cue from Melvin Forbes and his ultralight rifle, the Model 20. Short action, scaled down action. But what, what Kimber did was they made it a controlled round feed action like the Winchester Model 70 with a Mauser. It has that external claw extractor. But the everything is scaled down on it because they tested the steels and said, we do not need to make our actions as big and robust as they were built back in the 20th century, in the mid 20th century. So think the the Remington 700, the Winchester 70, the uh, Savage 110, those are all pretty big, beefy actions. More steel than is really needed to contain the pressures of the cartridges that they're chambered in. So Kimber said, we can really lightweight rifles here with these smaller actions. So they built a small action and they made a short action. They made a long action. They made a bigger action for the WSM cartridges. They made quite a few. And then they have your typical models like a hunter, um, a mountain ascent. They give them different names. Adirondack, which is a short kind of a carbine version. And they come and go, different versions every year, but the actions are basically the same. So why are there no Kimber Montanas when there are plenty of hunters and mountain ascents? I think it's because the hunters and mountain ascents are built or chambered for the bigger, faster, long-range cartridges. And the Kimber Montanas are the short action, the equivalent of the M10 ultralight arms rifle in 308 length, 243, 260, probably 6.5 Creedmoor. I'm not sure exactly what they're all chambering for, but there's your short actions. I would have to imagine that they're just not selling as many of those as they are the Mountain Ascents and the Hunters. Um, I have not kept up with the, the model changes in the last few years. The last one I had was um, I got an Adirondack in 7mm 08 Remington. And my wife fell in love with that, so she grabbed a hold of it. I don't even know where she's hiding it. <laughs> but she just loves how sleek and light and handy that rifle is. I think it has an 18 and a half inch barrel on it. And then I had a mountain ascent. I think that's what it was. And it was in a 280 Ackley improved. That's your full length action or your 30 out six length action, but an extremely lightweight action. And of course, these days, everybody's crazy about that 280 AI because it comes pretty close to the performance of a seven rem mag with the smaller action because it's not a belted magnum case. It's a 30 out six case stretched out and given a sharp 40 degree shoulder. And oh, it I've used it a lot since the 90s in a custom rifle. And I love that thing. And I think that's why a lot of those mountain ascents are selling so well. So that's what I know about the Kimbers, guys. Uh, they're definitely worth a look, though. I've had several Kimber rifles over the years, and I really like them. I also have my dog, Covey, coming upstairs to remind me we're getting pretty close to go outside and run down the driveway time, huh, Covey? 
Yeah, well, we'll get there. You want to say hi to everybody? The camera's over here, not under the table. <laughs> okay, Cubby, you go downstairs and wait for me, and I'll come out real soon now. Thanks for being so polite about asking me. <laughs> All right, I think our final one is from John K., and he asks, why do you think there's an ammo shortage? Because they're not making enough ammo to supply the market. <laughs> That's pretty much the obvious answer. No, this is a puzzle for a lot of folks. Every ammunition manufacturer I have talked to in the last year assures me that they are cranking 24-7. They've hired new people. Some of them have expanded their plants. Either they're lying to me or they're telling me the truth. I tend to believe it. I know some of these folks and have for years. I can't imagine why they wouldn't be. I mean, you think about it. This is business, right? What American business wants to not supply his customers? If there's a demand, the businesses try to supply it because then they thrive, right? So why are they not making enough to supply the market? Several things are going on, I'm pretty sure. One of them is we've had like 6 million new gun buyers just last year. 6 million? I mean, if they just buy one cartridge apiece, that's 6 million more they need to crank out. And you know they're going to get at least a box of 20 or 50 and probably three or four boxes. And then since they have a new firearm, they're going to learn to shoot it. So they're going to be training and using more and more ammo. So there's 6 million new shooters in one year putting a demand on that ammo. Then there's the military. I'm sure the military stocks were depleted during all the fighting around um, the Middle East and different places. And they're probably gearing up. They like to keep, I would imagine, a pretty good stockpile on hand. And then, of course, they're always testing new loads now. They're working on that new 277 Fury and several other in that category. They're trying to find the latest and greatest rifle for the military. That's probably not huge, but it's a part of it. They've got to spend a little R&D money and research time. But the other one, I think, and the really, really big one is hoarding. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> like Pogo said, we've met the enemy and it's us. Uh, I, and I'm as guilty as the next guy. I mean, I don't go down to the gun stores every week and buy all the ammo I find on the shelves, but I have over the years gotten a pretty good supply laid in just in case of times like this. And I can limp along here for quite a while, but eventually they're going to have to make some more and I'm going to have to find it. The problem I think are the guys who say, I know these prices are going up, so I'm going to buy everything I find and then I'm going to resell it to my buddies or whatever. I don't know how it goes. Or they're just going to stick them in the closet against a rainy day. Some people invest in gold. Some people invest in ammo. But I think that's probably a significant part of the problem. And that's why a lot of retailers will say, if you come in to buy ammo, you get two boxes. We're not selling you a whole case. You can't clear the shelves off. And I kind of like that because it's done by the seller. It's not some government mandate. You know, it's just an individual choice. The guy whose business it is to sell that stuff, if he decides that you get a box so you can go deer hunting, that's great. Then everybody gets to go and it's kind of even, Stephen. But I think those are the big reasons. And another one that I'm really worried about, though, are supplies of basic materials. I mean, you hear so much that China is going into Africa and buying up the copper mines and uh, around the world, they're just taking over more and more of the basic supply. And some things like tungsten, the something like 80, 90 percent of all the tungsten reserves on the planet are in China. And they can hold us hostage real quick. If they decide they don't want to sell us anything. They don't have to. So prices are definitely going to go up as the basic raw materials get harder and harder to find. And then there's the powder issue. 
And with all the regulations on companies producing things like lead is always a problem. So there's difficulties in getting lead mines producing product. There's difficulty getting a lead, period. And then you've got the health concerns with lead. So we're switching gradually to copper. Fortunately, the copper bullets are working out beautifully. But I'm sure copper costs are going to go up along with everything else. So, And then there's inflation. Yeesh. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's not a definitive answer, but it gives us something to think about. And I think most of that makes pretty good sense. Whether or not it's going to clear out in the near future, probably not. But, gosh, you'd think it would have to here eventually. Um, I know Fioki is building a new plant, so they can start making a lot more center fire ammunition. So you might want to watch for that. Norma out of Sweden is trying to get a bigger and bigger market into the U.S., so you should be seeing more Norma ammo on the shelves. And they may have different supplies of raw materials as well, and I kind of like that there are other countries that could help supply. If there's a tight spot in the line somewhere, it might not be in every country. So, But I think we can pretty much count on not too much more Russian ammo coming in for a while. That's definitely out the window. All right, those are the questions for this episode, everybody. Clue me in if I got them wrong. I always love to hear from you guys. This is Ron Spomer. You can check me out on uh, another YouTube channel, Ron Spomer Outdoors, where we cover ballistics and guns and shooting and such. And, of course, we have the website, ronspomeroutdoors.com, where we write articles about this sort of thing and answer lots of questions. And uh, and then there's our rsotv.com, a subscription service where we've got some hunts and some longer videos on guns and shooting and gunsmithing, and and we're starting to do a hand-loading series on there. So we're trying to cover the waterfront here, guys. If it has to do with guns and ammo and hunting, we're trying to cover it at Ron Spomer Outdoors. Thanks for watching, everyone. Hunt honest and shoot straight. Miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.